Ag State of Mind, Episode 70. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows, and today we are finishing out our series, not our, not finishing the series, but finishing our guest interviews on this series on January Nutrition. I'm going to provide my own insight and my own take on it next week uh, at the end of January, but this is our last interview with dietitians. Um, today, we're chatting with Leah McGrath, who is a registered dietitian currently employed in retail that. Di- Dietetics. I have had the hardest time pronouncing, learning how to pronounce that, and I hope I will continue to pronounce it right from here on out. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know why I'm having a hard time. Just some words I have a hard time pronouncing. So Leah and I chat about her journey and the interesting role she plays as a supermarket dietitian. Um, that was something I didn't really know existed until Leah and I chatted about it on the podcast. Uh, it's a really interesting role dietitians can play with certain retail supermarkets, uh, I, I, I think it's very needed. So I, I was happy to hear that that's something that exists. Then we shift to chatting about the important role advocacy plays in connecting producers and consumers and about how the disruption of the supply chain this last spring with the pandemic helped us see how important it is to understand where the products we use originate and what steps they have to take to get into our homes. And we finish by chatting about meat and the role it plays in a healthy diet, and how the pandemic, again, as hard as the pandemic was for so many people, especially small business owners and and healthcare workers, it showed us how important some of the things in our lives really are and helped us not take them for granted. I had a really, really great time chatting with Leah. She does some really great work. She's a great follow online, and I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing this podcast. Um, if you have not heard, if you have not been fo- following along on social media, we have started something new with the podcast. It's called the Podcast Plus membership. It, it's the way to get into that is to become a Patreon supporter. Patreon is a way for us to add value and add it on a subscription type basis. Um, it's a separate website, so you can go to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash agstateofmind. The, what the Podcast Plus will get you is an extra podcast a month ex- exclusive only to Podcast Plus members. And also, we're going to do a book club. Um, the book club is going to start in February. Next week, or I'm sorry, this coming week, we are going to do our one bonus episode for for the month of January, where I'm going to actually talk about a little bit about finance and about my journey to um, becoming more intentional with my finances and how it's helped my marriage, helped how it's helped me personally. Um, really, I'm really excited to bring that to you guys. So 
Go check it out. Patreon.com slash Ag State of Mind with Jason Meadow. I'm sorry. I think it's just Ag State of Mind. And you'll be able to find that and see if you, there's three different tiers that you can sign up for. The, the Podcast Plus membership is $5 a month. So, all right. Here we go with my conversation with Leah McGrath. All right, Leah McGrath, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast tonight. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate being on and being invited and having a chance to chat with you and your audience. Yeah, I appreciate your patience with me because, you know, it's it's been a busy life over here. So I, I appreciate your flexibility. Oh, no problem at all. So the first, let's uh, let's introduce yourself to the audience. Let them know kind of what you do, where you are, and what led you to where you are, and we'll we'll take the conversation from there. Sure. So I, right now, I'm a retail or supermarket dietitian, and I live in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I'm at about 24, 2,500 feet. So I live in a county that has the most mountain peaks over 6,000 feet until you get to Colorado. Beautiful mountains, and there's a little bit of snow on them right now. So it's a beautiful area of the country. And I've lived here for 20 years as working as a supermarket dietitian for a regional supermarket chain that's based in North Carolina. But before that, my other life was uh, in, I worked in public health as a dietitian, and I served in the army as an officer and dietitian as well. So that's sort of my career in dietetics. And then I had a whole other life um, doing a variety of other things like teaching English to Spanish business executives and running restaurants and being a headhunter. So, but that's a whole other show. So, but, <laughs> but here I am now. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other show. And I've always really had a passion. And I think this really, well, I shouldn't say always, probably about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, kind of, I don't think it's coincidentally with the rise in popularity of social media, like Facebook, I started getting a lot of questions about agriculture and farming and how our food was being grown and raised. And I realized I did not know a lot about it. And it, it's not, or it wasn't then, and still for most programs is not part of your training as a dietitian. I didn't grow up on a farm. So I set about trying to learn more just for my own benefit. And I took like probably two years and I just sort of dedicated myself to trying to visit every type of farm I could. And part of the benefit of being a supermarket dietitian is that all I have to do is really call make a couple calls and I can, and being here in North Carolina, which is a very strong agriculture state with a very strong agriculture presence, it was really easy to visit uh, sow farrow operations and Tyson chicken. And um, I mean, we have uh, beef cattle farms 
probably a mile from my house, not even that. But and of course, all kinds of row crops and specialty crops and flower crops and orchards. And then I kind of ventured further afield and visited apple orchards and pear orchards in Washington State and cherries in Washington State and vineyards. And just I tried to just learn as much as I could about agriculture. Yeah, I mean, and you're I think you're in a really neat position there because North Carolina is a very diverse agricultural state. There's so much going on there. And I find that really I find that fascinating when a state is as diverse as it is down there. And I, I think that's cool. So a supermarket dietitian, I, I'm not sure if I've ever been really familiar with. Is that a common thing? Well, uh, now where you are, you have, what are the supermarket chains that you have? Like Hy-Vee, Schnucks? What do you have? Yeah. Okay. There's, I'm in a place where there's not chains, um, but <laughs> You know, if you go a little east of me, there's Schnooks. If you go a little north of me, there's High V's. Right. So the whole idea of having retailer supermarket dietitians probably start, well, there was a few prior to 20 years ago, but it started to become a thing about 20 years ago. So I, I was in the probably the first real group of supermarket or retail dietitians. And I'm probably one of the few that's in the Southeast. There's only a, a, a handful, not, not even a handful of us in the Southeast. Hy-Vee has dietitians in most every store. Schnooks, I don't, I think they have a few dietitians. So across the country, like they're probably less than a thousand supermarket dietitians. And like I said, when I started, there might've been 12 of us. So it's a concept that's really grown to provide, in some cases, store level, you'll be familiar with this term, medical nutrition therapy. So people are meeting, dietitians are meeting with customers in an office at the store to help them if they have type two diabetes or have high blood pressure and need a special diet. In other cases, supermarket or retail dietitians uh, are working at a higher level where they're doing more marketing-based programs. And like for me, I do a lot of writing. I have a radio program. I do TV. I do a lot on social media. So it's not really one-on-one. -on -one. It's on a much larger, higher level scale than that. Okay. How does one, how does a, like a customer of say a Hy-Vee in Columbia, Missouri get connected with that store dietitian? So um, I'm not positive, like I don't really know exactly what Hy-Vee does, but. Sure, sorry, I, I, I should have, whatever, what is it in your experience? Yeah, so every store is a little bit different. Um, it's definitely not a cookie cutter program. So certain, like in certain um, retailers, maybe they're a referral from a local hospital or a local doctor's mm -hmm. office to uh, a dietitian who's doing medical nutrition therapy, who is out of, you know, a doctor's office. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean that that makes sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it, that makes that makes a lot of sense how that's because that's I mean it's a huge part of our treating any sort of of medical condition is is nutrition. And I think that's a lot of times sure. I feel like that's sometimes overlooked. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know that um I mean there's, I, I can't think of too many chronic diseases where um, nutrition doesn't play a big part. We're coming, you know, we're obviously, while we're recording this, we are in the middle of, of the pandemic. It's gone on, I think, a lot longer than any of us would have anticipated. What what was what's going on with grocery stores? I mean, we we saw we saw the meat shortages, or I, I should I don't like to call them shortages because I'm not sure that's really what was happening. Just the supply chain disruption back in the spring. But what what's it what's this been like on from both the consumer and the and the gro- and the grocery store level? Wow, it has been basically it's been. Just, I was talking to one of my uh, coworkers today, and we were sort of reflecting on everything that has happened since May, and the fact that every supermarket had to had to so quickly kind of uh, put programs in place that normally would have taken months or even years in some cases, the the speed at which we had to kind of do things, whether it was finding masks for employees, that was so hard for the first month or two because there just wasn't the supply of masks. They just weren't there. Yeah, um, And you probably know that as well. And putting up plexiglass shields in the, uh, at the registers and giving employees like kind of hazard pay and bonuses and, you know, changing how uh, like delivery systems, taking, taking things out of stores. Right. Are you seeing a lot of stores? I mean, I know, I think Walmart like specifically had just really started that when, uh, when COVID hit, like they were doing it like in real time. Are we seeing a lot of grocery stores doing that same thing? These these online de- shop online shopping and then pickups. Yeah. So it, um, the the pandemic. What was the figure? I um, I was on a call a couple a month or two ago, and the figure like pre pandemic of how many customers were using online ordering and either some sort of pickup or delivery was pretty small. It was a very small percentage of the market, and literally almost overnight, it went up to something like, like 50 or 60%. I mean, it went from like, you know, 13% to like 60%. It was amazing. And uh, what, like a matter of weeks? Oh, not weeks. I mean, maybe not a weeks, matter days. of days. Yeah, days. And so wow, it was a very, that was very tough for retailers to navigate. Um, just because you, you just, there's a lot of infrastructure that has to be put in place to handle that. And so that was, I think that was super challenging. And again, that happened so quickly. And, and, you know, you would hear stories or I would hear them anyway, that, you know, people were 
would order something and they would and they would get it and they would immediately order it again because they knew that it would take that long for them to get it would take another week for them to get products because there was such a backlog on orders on these online ordering systems and delivery so that you know the pandemic definitely changed that for people and for retailers whether or not it'll be, it will be a permanent change is still remains to be seen i think we did start seeing some of those numbers come down quite a bit when um states opened up again um but you know, people sort of got into the habit of using that as a, a service yeah this is this is coming i don't do any grocery shopping in my house my wife does all of it and we're better for that believe me <laughs> and but her and i have been talking about that and i think this was probably pre-covid when the place like walmart was really starting to get started with this online pickup type stuff and i feel like certain things like you don't really want anyone else to go pick out your produce or your you know the, your veg fruit and vegetables that's where i see like that more in store like that's what's going to pe keep people coming when everything gets back to normal whatever normal may be that's what's going to get people back into the grocery stores is is that sort of wanting to uh physically examine their produce and even their meat even their cuts of meat and that sort of things you know the non-perishables i can see what how that would be uh, appealing to people to pick that up online but some of the some of the other stuff the the fresh produce and stuff and meat people want to pick that up and see that for themselves Oh, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I think that's a very accurate observation. Yeah, because I mean, so the, there is going to be some form of the original grocery store model back. It's not all going to be online, but it is definitely going to be a certain percentage of it, though. Yeah, and I think it's really going to depend on the community and, um, you know, if you're in a more rural area or even a suburban area, the whole, for many people, I know where I live, the, which is, I wouldn't say it's definitely not a, it's probably like a mix of suburban and, and very rural mm -hmm. farming area. The supermarket is kind of a social hub too. Sure. Yeah. So I think in certain urban settings, people are, you know, fine with that. They're, they don't, you know, they don't care that, you know, if it's going to be delivered to their apartment or their condo or their townhouse, great. But I think in um, some of these other areas, it, it um, the whole notion of a supermarket for many people is, you know, where you see people and they like that right? and they miss that. Right. Well, I remember when I was a kid, it was the, I mean, it was a tradition to just to after church, go with my mom to the grocery store and she'd do all the shopping for cooking on Sunday and then have family over after. And you'd see people at the grocery store and you got to be friends sure. with the cash register operators and the deli people and whoever else. Sure. I mean, it just was this, it's like you say, it's like this social hub and it's still like that in our small little community. Our, you know, we have one grocery store and it's a locally owned grocery store. Um, like I said, we don't really have chain grocery stores around here 
and I think you're, you, that's a good observation. And, you know, these things are going to shift probably more in urban areas, but here in the rural areas, it's, it's still going to be like that centralized hub. And for nothing else, as a matter of logistics, there's, right. there's not going to be a grocery store who delivers to my house. I, I'm, I'm 12 miles from a town. Um, so, I mean, it's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. We have the same issue here. I mean, we've got people, I mean, I have people who probably as, as a crow flies live a mile from me, but to get to their house is a 30 minute drive up a mountain. Because of the mountains. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, and, and I don't think very many delivery folks are going to be too thrilled with driving up the side of a mountain <laughs> on an icy night to deliver some groceries. So I don't know sure. if that's going to happen. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be a certain part of it that's going to hang around, but the, the original model, especially in these rural model, uh, rural communities and rural areas, it, it, the, the, the original model of a, of a grocery store or supermarket is going to stay. Yeah. I, I think it's going to, I don't see that changing in, in many areas. I think they'll, they'll, you know, they may just shift. It may shift what they're doing inside the store, but I, I think the, the stores will still stay around. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So let's let's shift here. The reason we got connected was through Ryan Goodman and Brandy Buzzard. Uh, she put us, uh, she mentioned both both of them mentioned you whenever I was kind of mining for this little series here <laughs> on, on food and nutrition. And you were one that both of them recommended. And the, the whole, the whole topic that that revolved around was the importance of meat in a diet and how it plays a pivotal role. And, you know, there's been so much pushback on meat as of late, and I'm interested to get your point of view on that. Well, I think that you really have to take, you know, it's not just about meat on the, on the plate, but uh, the role of beef and, and cattle and uh, beef cattle and dairy and dairy cattle in the whole food system. And I think even if we start there, just the role they play in terms of, being upcyclers of mm -hmm. a lot of products uh, in our area, beef cattle and dairy cattle are upcyclers of some of the, we have a lot of breweries in our area. So some of the right. spent grains. Are you close um, to Asheville? Yeah. I'm about 30 okay. miles from Asheville. <laughs> Isn't like, I, I mean, I, I've heard this, like Asheville has more breweries per capita yeah. than, than any place in the United States. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, and that just happened, it feels like it happened overnight. It's probably been, you know, maybe the last eight, seven, eight years. I mean, we've got the big ones like New Belgium and Sierra Nevada. And then we've got just so many artisan craft local breweries that just make stuff locally. But yeah, without, so having the ability to sort of use those animals as a recycler center for spent grains, you know, not only beef cattle and dairy cattle, but also pigs. It's so, it's an important part of being a sustainable operation for the breweries and for reducing their, their carbon footprint and greenhouse gases because they're not dumping things on, you know, just dumping those grains somewhere that are the spent grains. So yeah, well, they'd be I, totally I, wasted otherwise. Exactly. So 
Um, and then, you know, I've been to like years ago, one of the first beef farms, we call them farms out here, not as much ranches for some reason, mm -hmm. but um, he was uh, raising, um, oh golly, what's there? It's a, I'll have to think of the name. It's a specific kind. It's not a black Angus, it's a different kind of cattle. And he was close to a Del Monte fruit plant. And he, they would give him a lot of the, you know, the cut up fruit that, that didn't make it to the. Sure, sure. And, and he was, he, he told me how, how much his cattle loved the cut up fruit. I mean, and he said it was like this, it was like candy for them. It was it essentially, it's kind of candy. It's just like a good carbohydrate for them. Um, so I, I was, remember being just fascinated by that back then. I'm like, you know, otherwise all that fruit that didn't make it into the cans or didn't make it to the shelf or whatever would just be dumped somewhere. So I think right. an important part of the conversation is not just about the beef on the plate, but the role that animals, uh, specifically things like beef cattle and dairy and dairy cattle and chickens and hogs play in helping reduce uh, food waste is so important. So, or, or the products of food production uh, is, is a very important part of the conversation. And then, and, it, and it's really amazing as a dietitian what those animals are able to give us in terms of the nutrition, whether we're talking about, you know, a three ounce piece of meat or pork or an egg or chicken, it's really kind of astounding all the nutrients that are packed into the those pretty small portions of um, animal protein so and and I and I think that that story is really important too that you know just the the nutrient density of that um, of beef is a really important story for people to to think about you know I think more recently People have really paid attention to the protein amount in beef, but you know, there, there's all these other vitamins and minerals that are very important as well. You know, we're talking about zinc and iron. And uh, so, so you're going to get, you're going to get a lot of nutrients when you eat three ounces of beef. You can, uh, and if you haven't, like there were, if you haven't eaten beef in a long time and you eat it, you can tell that you know, if you've, you know, been a vegetarian or something for a while, and then you eat that three ounces of just three ounces of meat, it's like, you can almost feel the difference, I think. I mean, that's just like anecdotal that you're like, wow, there's a lot going on here. You just feel satisfied because of that protein and fat amount. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of a good steak or a good cut of red meat. So yeah. Well, I mean, you bring up what I'm hearing here. And the thing I th keep thinking about is, I mean, you go back to where you're connecting with these producers, these farmers and ranchers, and how difficult would it be for you to gain the perspective that you have if it wouldn't been for you being able to talk to right. them? And if you think of, if you think about how uh, you, you went to that, that, that guy um, and he talked about he lived close to the Del Monte place and they love the the waste fruits. And, you know, to think if you really would you ever have known that if you were ain't, weren't able to really get down and talk to that guy? I mean, 
Likely not. Yeah. And so, I mean, that shows you the value of actually getting to know producers and understand it's it's so much it's like you say so much more than a piece of meat on a plate it's a total I mean whole systems type approach to this and that's what I found I mean I've so I in people of this podcast know I mean I've I've lived with cattle my entire life Um, I've never not known cattle but I've really, really take, I took it for granted for a long time. And I never really thought of the real holistic benefits until I started talking to other people and really realized where we're at here. There, there is some tillable ground, but for the most part, it's rocky range ground here. Um, we're in the northern Ozarks of Missouri, uh, probably not as hilly and mountainous of, as where you're at, but still much significantly more than Iowa or somewhere like that. Right. But this ground, if it didn't have cattle on it, what would be there? I mean, there would be nothing. It, it, it's not suitable for for crop growth. It's not suitable for orchards. It's not suitable for anything but but range rangeland, pasture land for cattle. And none of the grasses that they consume are of any value to humans. You know, they're it's it's they're totally they're for cattle and it's the only way they're able to it's only way to turn solar energy from the sun into meat. I mean, that's that that's all that can be done. I mean, that's 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 basically what we're doing here. Well, and I think one of the things to come back to what you said is, you know, probably prior to me visiting all these farms the only story I could really tell about me was what kind of nutrients it had, how to cook it, how to prepare it, whatever. And then as I started to visit these farms and I realized this was a story, like you said, this was a story, was the passion of the farmers, their commitment to caring for animals through that while the you know they were while the animal was with them or they entrusted to their care how committed they were to having raising and caring for healthy animals um their feed their nutrition you know protecting them when necessary from elements i mean those were stories that made such an impact on me that i started to go back and use them to write articles so that I could share those kinds of things with the public. So using my platforms on social media and the radio and the publications I wrote for, I would write stories and to try and explain to people what was going on before that food got to their supermarket and before it ended up on their plate. Because I thought that those were the stories, the questions that I couldn't answer before, but I thought those were the stories that people really needed to hear. Not just, okay, well, you know, three ounces of meat has this and this and this, and you know, you want to cook it like this. You know, that to me was not the compelling story. It was the story of these farmers. Oh, yeah. And it's and how valuable is that? I mean, that's so valuable to both sides, both the producer and the consumer. I mean, you serving as kind of that middle ground as to one person who understands both sides. And that's that's really valuable to have uh, from both ends of the supply chain to know that there's someone who is is is. 
uh, from the producer side, letting people know how it's raised and cared for and how it got to your plate, but also from the consumer side to know that you are actually going to the source and finding out how exactly this is done and how they can feel safe in the food that they eat. And, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's really incredible to see how valuable it is from both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And plus it was just super fun to, (laughs) to learn about all these things. So, and I've, you know, made some great connections along the way. So yeah, I I mean, I, I think I benefited um, so much from that, from, from that time and and the things that I'm doing, even doing now were are in part because of that. So let's talk about the thing that I, I, I think, I think a lot of people want to know about and that's cellular and plant-based proteins. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say other than, I mean, I, I we feel like we feel as, as cattle producers, we feel very threatened by those things. And sure. it's, it's a little scary for us because it feel it's so unknown what can happen. And, and even they say, even the executives at these, I know the plant-based companies, and as they say, their goal is to end animal agriculture. And, you know, it's yeah. terrifying for someone like us, like me here in the middle of Missouri, who that's been such a big part of my life and big part of the culture around here. How can you speak to that? Well, well, first of all, I would say, I don't really think you have much to worry about, you know, from a retail perspective and, and seeing kind of the movement, that's what we talk about, like case sales and product sales of animal proteins compared to plant-based. I mean, the folks who promote plant-based or the meat alternatives are very good at telling their story and making a big deal about not a lot, actually. So, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers. I can tell you that the amount that we sell as a retailer in terms of ground beef compared to any of the plant-based alternatives is probably four times more. I mean, it, it's there's really no comparison. And during the pandemic, like at the height of the pandemic, people weren't calling me up and saying, I can't find any of the plant-based products. <laughs> that's not what we, that's all you need to know right there. <laughs> that's not what was happening. It was, you know, yeah. where's, you know, I, I want more ground beef. I want more steaks. I want more, you know, it was animal proteins that people wanted because they know they can make a meal, they can make multiple meals. It's not just a patty or a nugget that is meant to, to look something like a, an animal product. These are foods that typically the, a whole family will like and enjoy. And the price point um, is still very appealing to people, much more so than many of the plant-based alternatives. So that would be the first thing I would say. I would say, I would say, it's you know, it. I'll ask you a question, Jason. Do you have, um, do you have daughters or sons or sons? Four of them. You have sons. Okay. So this might analogy might not work as well, but okay, it might work. So think of it like your son is in high school and they say, oh, there's this new girl and I'm going to bring her home and you meet this new girl and you're like. 
oh, wow, she's not at all what I expected. And I can't imagine my, why my son likes her. And then you have to think to yourself, you know, she's probably not the person he's going to end up with. This is just somebody he's going out with one time, right? Yeah. yeah. So this is the plant-based conversation I think a lot too, okay? So I would say don't get so excited about it because many people will try these products and they might be part of their rotation once a week. They might be or once a month, or they might be for someone in their family, but not the whole family. But I think in many cases, they really don't, still don't have that much of a staying power for the majority of Americans. So do you Um, feel it's more like a, like a social thing, like a, almost like a feel good about myself type thing for some people? Like, what is well, it? What is it that draws people to it? I guess is what well, I should you know, ask. I think I think there's a lot of. I did a podcast with a um, professor from Western Carolina, whose specialty is the relationship between animals and humans, and we talked about in this podcast why people adopt a, veg, a vegan or vegetarian diet, and there it's not just uh, one thing. You know, there can be many reasons why people you know, stop eating meat or, or want to stop eating meat. It can go anywhere from moral, ethical, religious to perceived health benefits to, you know, they're dating somebody and they don't eat, you know, meat, whatever. So I think it's really difficult to say that there's one reason why people might be drawn to plant-based products. So the thing I I spoke a couple of years ago at Farm Bureau and one of the, and I had done a lot of research on this kind of idea, like why were people wanting to try these products and what was the attraction there? And a lot of them think that they are healthier and these companies do a good job marketing that perception, that health halo. And in the same breath, they usually manage to disparage animal agriculture in a big way. So it's not just promoting their products, this idea that there's a health halo, but at the same time, they're kicking animal agriculture to the curb. So do you feel like they're, they're maybe utilizing a little bit of fear? Oh, without a doubt. With, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I see that um, on social media quite a bit. Now, to be fair, I think some of them have gotten a little bit better about that. Um, it's a, the, the conversation is not quite as heated, but you know they don't typically miss an opportunity to refer to their products as like, cruelty free is a good one that or one that they like to use or i mean i've heard that's one that i've heard very often actually so those kinds of conversations and those kinds of storylines that a lot of the plant-based not as much the brands but the marketing groups use as a technique to gain get people aware of their products now, that's pretty common. And, and one of the things to remember too is they're not after um, they're not after the vegan or vegetarian customer. They're after and they're not after the carnivore or the meat eater. They're after the 
that person in the middle who's like, yeah, I'm the flexitarian, you know, I, I want to try something new, you know, maybe I want to eat a little less meat because I think it might be better for me. So that's, that's their target. Hmm. Interesting. You know, that's, that's really valuable information because I obviously, and this may be me just kind of operating from a little bit of a scarcity mindset here, but it, it, it's scary to find a group, find these groups who are so anti animal ag and because we feel we do, we feel threatened by them. But from if from what I can tell from almost everyone that I've spoken to on this subject is there's no replacing the 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 original. There's uh, there might be a sort of niche market for these plant based proteins, but our market for good, healthy, sustainable beef is, is here to stay for, for a while at least. Oh, I, without a doubt, I don't, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that, I think what we'll probably see is that people, the market will kind of divide itself up and you'll have people who seek out very kind of high end niche type meats that are very, you know, really well marbled steaks or some kind of little, you know, whether it's Wagyu or whatever, they're going to be, you know, they'll want to spend top dollar, maybe not eat as much red meat or chicken or pork, but they're still going to eat it, but maybe they're just paying a premium for it. So, you know, I think for the foreseeable future that um, animal products will still be around. And it was interesting. I saw an article in, um, and I had to click through several articles to kind of find the original uh, reference. But the, the original study was done. By, um, it's, I guess it's a, I don't know if it's a research tank that's really against farm animals. And even in their own research, they found that 43%, if given, if given the opportunity to eat plant-based, and I think it was plant-based or, or cell-grown, that was an equivalent price to animal. 43% of people said they would prefer the animal product. 43%. Hmm. So interesting. Um, yeah. So and and that was if the products were the same price. So we know that in in most cases the plant-based are not the same priced and they're just not the same quality, not the same texture. Um, and then the, the cell grown or the culture is nowhere near even, even close to right now, what, what could be sold at a supermarket for any kind of rational amount of money. So um, yeah, I, I think, I think, um, I think the market, the market will sort itself out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I mean, I, I I believe that we have a superior product in 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 real meats, and I I think the consumer is going to be the ultimate judge of that, and I, I feel really good about our chances. Oh, I just I wanted to say that we didn't really talk about the program, but um, I know we're probably running to the end, but I, I want to just really put in a quick quick word about it's amazing to see all the different language that's used around 
um, the cell grown or cultured um, products, which is, I mean, there's a list of like 10 different euphemisms for these products now, you know, everything from no kill, cruelty free, um, cultured, cell grown, cell based, lab grown, lab based. It's, it, that's stunning to me that, and I, I think that that's going to be very confusing. That in and of itself is going to be very confusing to customers. Yeah. I mean, there's so much language out there and it's, it is, it is very, it's very hard to discern so much of that around that. And to me, I, 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 I really try really hard to see the good in situations. Um, so in this, I see it as an opportunity for us as cattle producers to, to showcase our product and show we're better. We know we're better. Um, so let, but let's, let's do it. Let's take the challenge and do a better job of telling everybody, uh, how much, how superior our, our product is and not only quality, but in, in how it's, how it's raised and how it can be better for, for years to come into in a sustainability type conversation. Definitely. Because that's where animal agriculture is getting beat up by these other people right now. Every time it's the conversation about environment and sustainability. And I think we just, agriculture just needs to do, to tell the story um, in a better way. So customers can understand that because, you know, the bottom line is you're not going to be feeding spent grains to a factory making plant-based meat alternatives or cell-grown cultured meat. Um, you're not going to be feel, feeding them the spent grains or the, you know, pieces of watermelon from Del Monte. That's not going to happen. So that needs to be, people need to hear that. Yeah, no, I, t I totally agree. Well, I, I appreciate your time here tonight. I wasn't exactly sure where it was going to go, but it went in a really great place. Man, oh, it, it, it was really a lot of value. And I think it was some unique information that I feel like people are really going to get some value out of. So thank you to you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Where can people find you online if they want to reach out after this? Sure. my uh, I'm on Twitter as Leah McGrath RD. And I'm on Facebook as Leah McGrath Dietitian. So both of those are good spots. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So those are all places. And, I, you know, I pop up in different agriculture places and speak in, in the old days, in the pre-pandemic days, I was right. uh, fortunate enough to oh, speak gosh, at... Yeah. Um, speak at a, uh, a lot of different agriculture conferences um, and hope to do that again. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> I'm wanting those back in full force as soon as possible. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when it's safe. Yes. Well, I appreciate your time tonight. I, yeah. I found a lot of value and I think everybody else is going to too. So uh, take care. Okay. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.